0: Rabbi David Ingber, thank you so much. You have found time to speak with me on this special episode of Exit Strategy in the wake of the unspeakable. Rabbi David Ingber, you are the founding rabbi of Ramamu, which is a prominent non-denominational egalitarian synagogue here on the Upper West Side of Manhattan. And earlier this year, you assumed the additional role of Senior Director of Jewish Life at the 92nd Street Y on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. So you're going back and forth across the park. I'm also very honored to say that you are a trusted advisor to me as you serve on the board of Plaza Jewish Community Chapel. So again, thank you so much for being here this morning.
1: Yeah, it's good to be with you. Definitely. Thank you for inviting me.
0: What can I say? The Jewish community is in a place of immeasurable shock and grief and sorrow right now in the face of this horrific tragedy, loss of life in Israel. Give us a little bit of a feeling in terms of what you're hearing in your congregation and, of course, in the greater Jewish community.
1: I think that we're all in a maelstrom of, of emotions where, you know, as a friend of mine said, a cocktail of emotions, we are at once feeling shock and disbelief and trauma and grief, immense overwhelming sadness and frozenness. And then also other emotions like rage and anger and also positive emotions like inspiration and admiration from the, the stories of heroes and heroines who in the face of unimaginable circumstances found something in them, something courageous and something remarkable. We in America feel, you know, a lot of us feel such a deep affinity and identity and solidarity with the people of Israel. And so for us to be here is also an extremely different emotion too. Like, I think many Israelis already feel a certain sense of impotency and, and not knowing what to do exactly, but there is a lot to do. And here in America, it's like all of these feelings, a cocktail of emotions are, are also coupled with a sense of what what can I do and how can I help? And What's the right thing to do, and and so kind of mobilizing some of that fight flight that people feel and, and freeze into something concrete is is also part of the struggle here, and also part of, of the agenda. I just think that the general sense of the Jewish community it moves from shock and horror and disbelief to immediately into into a sense of questions. Uh, you know, a lot of questions about what to do right now, and questions of 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 moral equivalency and 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 who our real friends are. There's a this has been a week like no other week I can remember in my life. And I think that it's justifiable. Many people have said it's the it's Israeli you know, and Jewish 9-11, literally door-to-door, a, a slaughter and a butchering. And so I think there are no words, as you said, and it's unspeakable. And yet some pretty incredible analyses and other insights are, are being produced at this moment. So there's a lot going on.
0: Everybody is holding so much and coping with so much. How do we separate the day-to-day? How do we hold all of that?
1: I think that what's happened in the span of a week from the perspective of of end-of-life questions or death questions in the wake of death, in the wake of tragedy, Right. the Jewish tradition has as a number of different stages for like the framework they, they offer a framework for a healthy movement in grief and grief we know it's not linear it's it's extremely, you know, like a spiral or, or a circle that kind of moves in and out and the most difficult things this week is that the intensity of grief and shock and loss have been condensed into a, a period of what's called only nuit. The first stage after death is Jewish law mandates that the mourners are in a state of limbo. they've been, their responsibilities and their executive functioning is, is is suspended as it were they don't have to show up in that they would normally have to show up because there's a recognition that there's been a rupture and then you move into burial and then post burial which is the shiva the seven days and then the 30 days the shoshim and then the 11 months and so on here everything is happening within hours we're in a state of heightened limbo heightened inability to to really process we're in shock uh we're in not even post-traumatic we're in trauma the answer for me is to dip into these things uh, to allow myself a space to do that and then to be able to almost i wouldn't say cauterize it but like to be able to close and then open and close and open focus on my own nervous system many of us have a lot of cortisol or adrenaline moving through our bodies and i think the anything we can do to calm ourselves down at this moment is very useful therapeutic support is vital at this moment i think being able to talk to a friend I think to some extent consciously engaging in activities that require our bodies to do something for the sake of, even if it's like you know, calling people in Israel, or calling locally or giving money or trying to figure out a way to help, that can channel some of the overwhelm of the nervous system that is kind of looking for something to do. Going to vigils and, and praying can be extremely useful. I think there's also permission and forgiveness for some for things that we can't do and maybe even asking others overtly to to know that what we're going through is very exhausting and maybe to cut us some slack. That's a very reasonable thing to ask.
0: I think that's so important. And I appreciated what you said about opening and closing this wound so we can get through the day. Talk to me about community in this moment. I feel community is so important to be with like-minded folks who are going through what we're going through here, being afar from the situation.
1: You know, in Israel, everybody's gathering together to, to support one another and, and to engage in whatever way they can to support the emotional release, the emotional the emotional holding. I mean, it's, it, there's a lot. And here, I think that even more so, there's a sense of, of isolation for many people that, I, that I've been working with, even at the Y, which is a Jewish institution, if you're working in an institution where, where the majority of the people are not Jewish, and even if they know what's going on, they don't share the reality of loss and mourning in the, quite the same way you do, it can feel deeply isolated. So we started having support group last week. We had a number of meetings with support groups and we'll do it this week again. And I think synagogues and other support networks are vital just to be able to be in the room. Uh, we have friends who came over last night to eat dinner with us just for no reason other than to be together. And to be able to feel like you turn to someone and you know, you know, and I start. I mean, we cried a couple of times over dinner, just holding one another. And then, you know, there was a there was a toddler in the room, so we were just playing with the toddler and so giving ourselves permission to be in life. Being together reminds us of how interwoven we are, and, and we need one another's support. You know, it's really incredible just to see how just looking at somebody and and being received by them can make us can also come to the surface in that way and be released and be held by them. It's a the kind of a remarkable power that we have as human beings. One of my sermons this year was called Why We Works, like the we that we have is vital. I think that we need one another in good times, and we need one another also in difficult times like this to to hold one another up and to carry a a weight that each of us individually might not be able to carry.
0: After 9-11, we all knew that nothing would be the same. We viewed the world in an altered way from that moment on. Do you see this as that type of moment as well. For me, the world feels different after October 7th. I'm curious about your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's no doubt in my mind that the, the massacre of Simcha Torah, this year, will be forever remembered as as a an inflection moment, and the before and after are, are going to be radically different, I think. It certainly will be for me. I think it will certainly be for Jews outside of Israel, certainly for Jews within Israel. I mean, just thinking together about what this meant. I mean, we're we're talking about pogrom happening against the most sophisticated and most intelligent and the best trained army in the world. And and in essence, the very thing that took place on Simchat Torah, for many, was the very raison d'etre of the state of Israel, which was to say, something like this will never happen again on our watch. And not only did it happen on our watch, it didn't happen somewhere else, it happened in Israel itself. And so, obviously, there'll be a great reckoning in Israel. There'll be a great reckoning too, I think, and I predicted this years ago, and I think it's happening already as a Jewish community in America, like how do we respond to the abhorrent silences and even worse celebrations of those who fight for social justice in other spheres. But when it came to Jewish blood, it was different this time. So I think that October 7th will be a moment of reckoning. I don't think that the Jewish world will be the same. And I certainly don't think Israel will be the same. You know, what lessons we learn from this will be, we'll have time to think about that. Already people on the ground in Israel are telling me, and I've been speaking to them repeatedly, my friend Micha Goodman is a well-known intellectual and and, and others, so there's, there's no doubt that the before and the after are going to be completely different.
0: Interesting that the date was the 7th of October. The number seven is a key number in Judaism.
1: One of the things that my friend Micha Goodman pointed out, one of the most remarkable things that's happening in Israel right now is that in many ways, this was a failure from the top down. And the failure was of a bureaucratic nature, it was a failure of government, it was a failure of the security. But but major institutions that are the authorities in Israel failed miserably. And the full extent of it will be for another time. But what didn't fail, and he said, and it's, it's clear, is that the grassroots, like the people, have come together. The people have said, from below. It's as if, like, from above there was failure, but from below they refused to accept it. The remarkable thing that happened was that this amazing country, the startup nation filled with people who are, by definition, were willing to push against the grain and, and do things differently. And they said, you know, if they're going to fail, we're not going to let them. Their failure won't be our failure. And so there's a, a groundswell, he said, that's remarkable at this moment. And one of the great things that's coming out is the overwhelming response of Israel and the overwhelming response of the of the people. It was a horrible, horrible day. They'll never, never, ever forget it. But it also, the significance of that day, of the Jews, you know, whatever that day represents is also significant to me as rabbi. Uh, to me, it represents like, you know, Shemina Atzeret is the last day of the Chag, it's the last day of the Holocaust, quote. And we're supposed to pray for, for rain on, on that day. And the rabbis teach us that rain is dependent upon human beings' prayer and human beings' action. We have to sow the field and we have to plant the seeds and ask God for rain. There's a lot there about how we human beings have to make the world a place where there is goodness and that we have to do it. Ourselves. Even if, if it's not coming from above, we still can and should do it from below.
0: Tell me how we deal with the long stretch. These days have been filled with the remnants of 9-11 and COVID and now the attack on Israel. The trauma is cumulative. Do you have any perspective on how we pace ourselves? what we do to get through it, other than our strong belief in what we have to do to get through it?
1: Healthy release of emotions, healthy support for emotions is part of the long-term strategy. We can't, we're can't. not going to make it through by muscling it through. We're not going to make it through by avoiding, and we won't make it through by distraction. Although those things have a function, right? Like, you know, it's okay Mm -hmm. to be distracted. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to enjoy, right? It's okay, right? Giving ourselves permission on the one hand to have, to experience life in its fullness is vital. Like even in the house of Shiva's there's, you know, there's laughter. Life can't be suppressed in that way. But I think that like having support for feelings, having permission for feelings, having therapeutic support, having family support, that's the only way to make it through. And then when we've reached our limit to know how to recharge, to know when you've reached your limit and back away from it. We have the privilege of being able to do that in some ways. Like if we were in, it would be a different conversation if we were in Israel, or if we were on the front lines, whatever it might be. But here, certainly those of us who can titrate how much we take in, it's vital that we don't, you know, if you breathe too much into your body too quickly, you'll hyperventilate and overwhelm your system. And the same with news and the same with sadness. We have to really be careful about how we hold what we're doing. And so I, you know, exercise, eat well, like all of those things are vital. Sleep is vital. And that's the hardest one, I think, for many people, because you go to bed at night and your mind is racing. And I think that to the best of our abilities, we have to take care of ourselves so that we can be able to take care of others, too.
0: So speaking of taking care of yourself how do we support our clergy? I, As you know, I talk to a lot of clergy often, and I've been reaching out to them to simply say, I know you are holding so much now. I'm thinking of you. How are you all handling and managing? And what can we do to support you? Because I know you have a lot of whys coming your way.
1: The first thing to understand is is that a broader conversation, which we should probably have at some point about clergy and about how the Jewish community might support clergy on a number of levels, everything from framing what clergy are and do and to how often we contact them and so on. But it's not overwhelming for clergy to hear that people are thinking about them too. And I think that's the first thing to say is that for whatever reason, people don't think that clergy appreciate hearing that people are thinking about them. Um, But if it's done well, and it's not done in a kind of it can be done in the wrong way which is to the clerk like i need to take care of you but that's not it it's just like i'm thinking about you i know how much you're holding and i appreciate you it's it a great message the second thing is i think that people should realize that clergy many clergy have not taken a break from high holidays for good reason obviously this came in right many clergy look to the end of the high holidays at on the end of sukkot and then in the next week or two they they re-energize so they can go get energy for the rest of the year but there was a marathon and now it's now it's become an ultra marathon and so I think that there's something to be said for, again, uh, thinking about how to support clergy and let them have a, a day off or, or just let them take a break and have more lay leadership step into that. I think the third thing is I think that, that people should need to be generous with their clergy now because clergy are not, by definition, politicians. Not every clergy member knows all the, of the geopolitical dynamics Many of us didn't go into rabbinical school to be able to weigh in on, you know, on moments like this. We don't have degrees and and second, first or second degrees in all of the intricacies of political maneuvering and all the intricacies of Zionism. Maybe not, you know, some people just go into the rabbit to teach Torah and lift people's souls and be a pastoral presence. So I think to be generous with our clergy now is a big gesture. I think it's a huge gesture on that level. Besides that, I think that clergy are get into this and have big shoulders, and they and they try. They're called, and and they try to. This is exactly the moment that clergy want to be available. With God's help, we can continue to serve in the way that we serve.
0: Before I let you go, just talk about some tangible and impactful things that we can do in this moment.
1: You know, I just come back again to my dear friend Micha Goodman, and I I want to recommend people listen to his podcast. There's also a podcast by someone named Sam Harris on the sin of moral equivalency. I think, like both of them, especially Micha was saying, Micha said something profound. He said, you know, the state of Israel was created. It's it, it, it's raison d'être again was to was to protect the Jewish world and to be there for the for the Jews when no one else would be there for them. And Micha said, if now is the time for we, we, maybe we didn't realize it ever in quite the way that we need it now, is that now when Israel is, is this fight for its life, they need a friend outside to be there for Israel. And I think that we, A, I recognize that we have a responsibility to try to raise money. B, phone calls to people mean a lot, letters to people mean a lot, all of the ways that we could tangibly get involved. And there are a myriad of ways. I mean, UJA Federation has a ton of, of resources. I think that Plaza, you have send out resources or you will. We've sent out resources from Romelu. We have, there are a ton of ways to do something, but do anything to pitch in is number two. Anything to pitch in concretely besides just money. And I think third is that I, I feel very strongly that the American Jewish community has to now be with Israel as it now turns from victim to once again, powerful presence. The image of the world being sympathetic towards us, you know, when we've taken a huge hit is one image. And many of the people in the world will not be with us when we begin to punch back. So I believe obviously in the sanctity of all life, but Israel is now in an existential moment. And the third thing we can do is promise to be a voice for Israel and supporting what it needs to do in order to secure itself um, going forward. So those are the three things that I'm focused on right now is raising money, concrete actions that might actually impact directly impact uh, someone in Israel, and to be a voice and a mouthpiece for Jews and for the right to defend ourselves and to be strong.
0: As you said, Israel is in a fight for its life and we need to know that and name it and to be there for her always. Rabbi David Ingber, you are always inspiring, thoughtful and I so thank you for taking time in what I know is an incredibly busy schedule to speak with me for a few minutes today. Thank you, and I wish you well on this journey.
1: Absolutely, and uh, like my friend Micha said, in Israel they're all saying two words now, yachad menatzeach, together we can win. So together, everybody. Thank you, Stephanie.
0: As the host of Exit Strategy, I thank you for tuning in to what I hope was an informative and illuminating conversation, I urge you to visit our show notes and there's an email listed there. So if you have any questions, send them my way. In the meantime, please share this episode with anyone you know who may be interested and subscribe to Exit Strategy. Wherever you listen to your podcasts each month, we'll renew our conversation with another topic and I'm really happy you're along for the ride. I'm Stephanie Gary, and this is exit strategy.